Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. The one thing that I wanted to say about taboo subjects mm-hmm. is that I think that the more conversations we're willing to have in our culture, the more taboo things are actually going to be about doing our work right? just as humans, you know, that hopefully it'll be less about prejudice and societal uh, systems that are somehow designed to keep people down and more about what things in my own life have I decided are taboo and not worth exploring. Right. Which is ultimately where all of that prejudice and Mm -hmm. hatred and vitriol comes from anyway. You know? Exactly. And I think especially in America, because I can't really, I can't speak for other countries, but I I, I do know in America, there's also a lot of pride, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of pride surrounding uh, what you know. I think it actually takes a really strong person when presented with a taboo subject to say, well, maybe I was taught wrong. Maybe there's something new because you're, you know, you, you can always change your mind. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about the musical Taboo. And to talk to me about this fascinating piece of musical theater is someone who knows the ins and outs of theater, both on stage and off stage. He also is a podcaster himself. Everyone, please welcome Jay Bailey Burcham. You can call him Bailey. That's right. <laughs> hey. Hey. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Of course. I'm so glad we got connected. We, I think we got connected from Keela, right? Come on. Shout out to Keela. Yeah. yeah. Keela Packett, one of my dear friends. He's a, a teacher with me at Shakespeare Youth Fest is how oh, we know Oh, fantastic. Each other. He was mm-hmm. on our Assassins episode. We, have a, we had a really great time. So, you did. I loved that episode. <laughs> great episode. Uh, thank you so much. Now, when I put it out to you about, you know, what show we would want to cover, Taboo was one of the ones that came back. I think it was one of the first things I listed, actually. So talk to me about that, (laughs) because that's unusual and also obsessed. (laughs) Um, So I love as if you listen to my podcast, uh, which I'll promote later, um, (laughs) we we talk about like uh, the craziest things and I get really deep into a lot of stuff. But sometimes... I just like talking about like curios, things that aren't necessarily good or bad, but like, whoa, we can talk about this forever. Yeah. Specifically, we just did an episode on the movie Showgirls. I mean, I, come on. I, I couldn't stop talking. I mean, we had to cut me <laughs> off. We hit like an hour and I was like, okay, I have to stop because I have so much to say. And I'm obsessed with these kind of things. And taboo is something that I learned about because of my obsession with Rosie O'Donnell when I was like 13. Thank you. Right there with you. Grew up on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yes. People, we didn't have YouTube. I'm like, this is just a fact. And so the Mm -hmm. clips that I saw about New York theater Mm -hmm. were because of the Rosie O'Donnell show that I would tape on on my VHS and then come home from school and see if maybe there was something from Broadway on that tape. 
Exactly. I also have I have VHS tapes right next to me of Ro- the of Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> show, and then like there's commercials, there's random stuff before and after. I love it. Fantastic. Uh, but she, yeah, she was sort of my not my intro, but my gateway to New York and theater. I'm from Kansas. You know, we we have theater there, obviously. Music theater Wichita is a really great regional theater. Amazing. But but I you know I I had only been to. New York one time when I was in first grade Mm -hmm. Lion King was going on, but I didn't get to see it and things, but Rosie had that huge circle of life performance. Do you remember that on her show? 100%. I I just got chills. I think about it all the time. (laughs) There were so many performances on the Rosie show that incorporated the audience. You know what I mean? I just, because we did a Titanic episode, they sang like Godspeed Titanic in the audience. And there's like Brian D'Arcy James fully realizing the Titanic in front of him. And then like oh. Joe Beth from Kansas is sitting next to her. And you know what yes. I mean? Like, yes. it's incredible. Anything she said, I was really like, great. Let's go. And so if her name was on something, I was going to check it out. And when she put her name on a show from the West End and I heard Boy George, a name I knew, like, you know, I had heard Karma Chameleon. Sure. I'm sure uh, from movies yes. and things like, you know, We've it pops all, up. In the- and if you like grew up with VH1, that music video was going to oh. come across your, your face at some Ex- point. Exactly. I still remember every shot of that music video <laughs> and I haven't watched it since I was a kid. So yeah, no, like I knew that. Um, and then there was a lot of, in the nineties, there was a lot of Boy George satire or like poking fun even on SNL, Mad TV, things like that. So I kind of knew who Boy George was, but I didn't, fully i was never fully immersed into the culture club scene or yeah anything like it's that. an iconic look that was easy to parody but right that's where it ended yes exactly you. and i uh but yeah rosie you know and i think we're, we'll get into maybe why she might have been the problem here or the reason why it didn't do so well maybe i don't know but at the time i didn't know anything about that it was just something that was just in my brain and when you said, sometimes I like to do things that aren't so known or like flops or like, you know, what I was like, well, taboo is the first thought that came to mind. Well, as um, as people may know who have listened to the podcast before, the F word is not a bad word on the show. And by F word, I mean flop right. because I find them endlessly fascinating. And I think sometimes we as a culture can learn more from them than even our hits. Right. That, that we absolutely. treasure so dearly. And in the case of Taboo, I can think of no better example. Okay, Mm -hmm. jumping straight to Tony Award time, right? When the Tony Awards come out in 2004, yeah, 2004, Mm -hmm. which is when Taboo uh, was eligible. Ooh, thank you very much. Here are the nominees (laughs) for Best Musical. Avenue Q, The Boy From Oz, Mm -hmm. Caroline or Change, Wicked. So Taboo does not make the bill for Best Musical. And it doesn't, and they don't even perform. No, they d- they didn't even perform, which is yeah. which is criminal in my opinion. I agree, but I agree completely. Would I take any of these nominations away from these musicals? Probably not. No, I mean, I think uh, I think they're all great in their own way, and there are a few masterpieces. Carolina or Change. I love Carolina or Change. Uh, I'm a big Kushner fan. Sure, uh, as well as Jeannie Tesori. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That being said, when you look at that lineup and see how many big hitters were in the Broadway musical theater season that year, mm-hmm. and now almost 20 years have passed, is it worth it then to look back and wonder, 
okay, did we miss something with Taboo? The Bailey answer is yes. As, is, we, the, we as is the Jeff answer. Good. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we're going to be on the same page about this one because I watched, I, I think we probably watched the same one, but I watched the YouTube West End version with Luke Evans. Interesting. I watched the YouTube Broadway version, oh, which is okay. barely like distinguishable. Like you can't really yeah. hear much, but it's also the last performance. <gasps> oh. Like their closing night. And it's wow. pretty electrifying. That's awesome. I I clicked through that one, sure. but felt like, oh, well, the quality, quality isn't as good. No, but then I learned, oh, they're two kind of totally different shows in some ways. Night and day. Yeah. Night and yeah. day. This is going to be interesting because okay. I have two hot takes when it comes to right. Taboo. Hot take yeah. number one, I kind of like what they did with the Broadway version. Cool. Hot take number two. I believe Taboo walked so Kinky Boots could fly. Yes, I agree with that. I think especially because on Broadway, we're not really talking about, uh, you know, sexuality in this way. Yeah. Like Boy From Oz is there, obviously. But this is this is talking no, about. There is a difference between a gay musical at this right. point in time. Right. We're like, this is post-producers, keep it gay, right? So everything's right. okay yes. as long yes. as we're winking. Mm-hmm. As long as we're winking in their showmanship. How about that? Yes, yes. Um, and then Taboo comes along, and it is quite possibly the queerest musical. Yes, yes. <laughs> in Broadway history. Like, no exactly. apologies mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. from the writing or the performances. Right. Uh, so, like, talk about being a pioneer. Absolutely. And it, it, and I think that may have been part of the reason it wasn't f- – audiences weren't fully – and it sucks. I don't like it, but they weren't fully ready for oh, it. Oh, they weren't ready for it. Not mm-hmm. to mention they weren't trying to be a traditional musical in any way, shape, or form. Exactly. Which is going to piss off New York critics. Right. So, exactly. like, at, at best – what you can hope for is to make a big splash, have like a cult following, and mm-hmm. then the show lives on after that. Unfortunately, where we are right now is that Boy George has the rights to the show and isn't really interested in revisiting it. And, you know, I'm pitching it at the play- at the Pasadena Playhouse right now because on revisit to it, we're doing Head Over Heels right now, which, yep, which was ju- uh, once again, uh, Peppermint. Once again, Taboo walked, mm-hmm. so Head Over so- Heels could also be a flop but fly for a little bit <laughs> agreed agreed <laughs> completely i know 100 and it, it was a flop but it was a flop that had you know it, it had fans no it's a it had its people it's a flop with a with a very loyal high school base that really wants to sing those songs at the top of their lungs exactly but also you know it's the go-go's mm-hmm. and that's a generation of people who want to hear that music but a lot of what people said was they got there and saw the show and they're like well i kind of just wanted to dance i kind of it was too mm-hmm. long it was a lot of this interesting and so what the playhouse is doing pasadena is, playhouse uh, by the way pasadena amazing playhouse. regional theater in on the west coast yes thank you i'm the uh, operations manager there i'm very what, what? Uh, proud to work there yep uh and we just announced our season go check it out it's very exciting but head over heels is our opener uh alaska 5000 from uh rupaul's drag race is playing the queen you're kidding uh, george salazar is <laughs> in amazing. it yeah leah delaria from uh orange is the new black Absolutely. who plays boo um she's playing the king uh it's gonna be epic to say the least uh but we have made it a 90 minute 
instead of two and a half hours. Smart. It's a 90 minute immersive dance show. Oh. So everyone is allowed to party and dance and be part of the show. And it all takes place around you. We There is no seating. Everything is is a flat stage. We've made the whole theater a flat stage. Oh my and gosh, I can't be- stop smiling. I know, I'm so excited about it. You have to come see it. Uh, but really what it is is like, let's take things that maybe weren't appreciated and should have been and to have a new take on yeah. them. Flip it on its head a little bit. I think taboo, it's time for it's it. I think somebody could take this. It. it is. And especially in 2021, come on. Yeah. Like it, everything we're talking about now, everything that we're, I don't have a better way to say this. Everything that we're allowed to talk about now. Hello. And what I mean about that is, yeah, is like artistically, I feel like we've been stifled in the world of queer discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have, like you said, parody, you have, uh, you have things like John Waters, you have, I am divine, you have things like this, but we're only now at a place where RuPaul's drag race can be mainstream, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I think this show would have legs right now. And and I'm interested to visit the Broadway one, but the West End one stole my heart. Ooh, love that. I love it i love every bit of it um i cried at the end when they were singing karma chameleon and (laughs) all just kind of standing at the front of the stage singing it they weren't even i'm like i feel it right now like pulsing through my body i kind of love this show that's amazing there's a place in my heart for rent there is a place in my heart for hair the soundtrack i don't i've never seen a production of hair that i really loved but both of those shows are very much about a people, mm-hmm. a, a, a generation, a tribe, yeah. a, tribe a, a group of people, who a subculture, whatever it may be. And therefore, if you're a lot of people outside of that subculture, don't always love those shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like I would argue a lot of older generations hated rent. When like pay out. your rent. Yeah. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. I also think a lot of younger people hate hair. But this is similar, but I would argue that it's like even more niche. Because the new romantic era yes. came and went so quickly. Exactly. I think, I think that's probably one of the big things. Can we actually go there right now? Let's go there right now. Okay, so Taboo has everything to do with the new romantic movement that happened mm-hmm. in the UK, late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. super, super fast came and went. Yeah. It was born out of the glam rock period, yeah? Kind of yeah, that, that it's, punk sort of I was going to say punk, you know, like, I don't even know how to... It, it, it was all part of this glam rock alternate disco, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like the end of the 70s where it was going into a weirder nightclub vibe of disco and a little bit less like Saturday Night Fever. Exactly. It was yeah. still nightclub and it yes. was still all about... Pushing fashion, fashion culture, yeah. and create, you know, spending all day creating your look and then going out all night and right. partying on the dance floor. So right. it's still got that element of disco, but mm-hmm. with more of the influence of glam and punk rock. So yes. what ends up coming out in terms of fashion is this a little bit of grunge, a little mm-hmm. bit of in your face, a lot of gender play, yes. but all layered on top of this kind of Victorian, lots of frills, lots of lace, Mm -hmm. um, very almost feminine uh, way of dressing. Um, Mm -hmm. It means that a lot of boys looked like girls. Mm -hmm. It means that a lot of girls had best friends who were boys. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it also created a lot of cultures, right? Like it, it, it it's the new romantics themselves was, a, was kind of a quick thing, but it kind of created club kid culture. And a, a lot of people would, would say that Lee Bowery might even be sort of the parent of all of that the mother the father the everything absolutely of, not to mention you that. had even mainstream bands like duran duran right um and of course boy george mm-hmm. you know coming out of this and and making it mainstream for better or worse i think exactly. lee bowery kind of looked down upon that sure. uh but then you even fast forward to today i mean lady gaga is referencing right. lee bowery all the time 100 percent. you can't tune into an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race without seeing Whoa. some sort of Lee Bowery uh, inspired think, look on the runway. I think Shea even like says Lee Bowery a couple times in her season. Like is mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, this is very Lee Bowery. Like you know that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, uh, Sasha Velour is also someone who does a lot of uh, Lee Bowery esque kind of stuff. And even designers now, uh, um, Vivian Westwood. Oh, 100% coming out of that. pulling stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's had a much bigger impact than the few years that it was really alive, which is kind of amazing. So there were a couple of clubs in the UK that were, you know, very much tied to this movement. The one that Boy George went to the most with his friend Marilyn was called... The Blitz? The Blitz. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And... Lee Bowery created his own called Taboo, which is why this musical, or one of the reasons why this musical is called Taboo. Yes. And Lee Bowery, you know, obviously known for his fashion, also Mm -hmm. known for really bizarre performance art, uh, Mm -hmm. despite being openly gay and uh, very sexually active with men, married a woman who Mm -hmm. was his... I guess, partner in this performance art. And one of the things that they would always do is he would wear her like a backpack. I guess Mm -hmm. that's the only way to really say. And he would come out in this huge costume and everybody would go crazy. And then all of a sudden he would pretend like he was going into labor and she would come (laughs) down out of his cooch And he would give birth to her on stage while she's holding on to like sausage links as like as the umbilical cord. And then he would grab him and cut him with his teeth. I mean, he did he did the craziest stuff. And that particular moment is actually in the musical Taboo, I think, in the second act. But uh, (laughs) at least in the Broadway version, I don't think that's in the Western. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) So uh, so he was just known for this crazy crazy avant-garde stuff that just like so much of culture starts in the underground and then reverberates for generations to come and and i think that that's the other reason that this musical is called taboo Mm -hmm. is that for everything that one generation thinks is unacceptable or that we're not really willing to talk about is Mm -hmm. then becomes the next generation's main source for inspiration in many cases. Right. Absolutely. 100%. That also leads me to then ask, is there ever going to be a time when something isn't taboo? Right. That's kind of interesting because I think, no, I think there will always be something new uh, because 
Because we're human. <laughs> because we're human. And unfortunately, like, certain conversations have weren't even happening until, like, the 80s or 90s, right? Like, I don't know that we even had the vocabulary to talk about trans individuals until, like, the 90s, right? Like, I mean, we I mean, did, but even we... then. Right, but we were using, like, kind of offensive terminology instead because we didn't... It was just taboo. It was just different. And now it's, like, part of everyday life, or at least for me, you know, as an sure. artist and things like that, like... A lot of my friends are trans or even non-binary or whatever. And those are things that I don't know that I even would have understood when I was 13 watching mm-hmm. this music or listening to this soundtrack. I, I do think art has a lot of responsibility, especially theater, especially Broadway, has a lot of responsibility to move us forward, progress us. Mm-hmm. And it does that a lot. I think Rent actually might have been a huge catalyst for the ability for for Americans to talk about AIDS in a way that wasn't offensive. It was for me. Hedwig was another one. Hedwig mm, and the Angry Inch. Thank you. I always forget about Hedwig, and that's that's very true. I have a Hedwig tattoo on both shoulders. No I am way. A, I'm a deep Hedwig head. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Well, uh, I love yeah, that. I, you can't see, obviously. It's a podcast, but uh, <laughs> I do. I, I do. Uh, take, take my word for it. But uh, it has a similar feel to Taboo, where there's a lot of... Uh, it doesn't necessarily have a plot. It like kind of does. You're following people. You're not following storyline. Yes. Yes. You know, and we're following Billy and we meet George and it's about George and, uh, and Lee Bowery's relationship kind of, but it's also about the subculture and it's also about the new romantics. And it's also about just like opening a club Mm -hmm. and being silly and performance art and singing great songs. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Sidebar, can yep. John Cameron Mitchell please do a film version of Taboo? That's it. That's what has to happen. That's what needs to happen, right? John Cameron Mitchell directing, producing, potentially playing something in it. Yeah. Uh, would be phenomenal. I don't know that John is right for Lee Bowery. No. But there's a part. There's no, a but part there. Please. He can yeah. fi- he can he can live in that. So Taboo gets written by Boy George and produced in London in 2002. Mm-hmm. Now, the story goes is that Rosie O'Donnell saw it in a bar and then decided to put it on Broadway. And then when it all blew up into like a full-fledged Broadway production, it lost all of its magic. That I'm not entirely sure is totally accurate because it, it wasn't exactly a bar. It's still 400 seats this right. theater so it's still like a mid-sized theater mm-hmm. and what they were able to preserve from the london production is this self-awareness mm. and when i say self-aware so often in musical theater self-aware is haha we're doing a musical so you can't make fun of us because we know we're doing it first right? right that's not the kind of self-awareness i'm talking about right. i'm talking about People on stage, almost Brechtian, participating in creating something and that there is an audience right in front of them who is taking it in. And everyone's totally okay with recognizing that. Yeah. So I think that that was one of the true and and you can tell me because you saw the London version. That is one of the true guiding forces in this sort of evening of theater is like it's not that serious. Right. Yeah, it is very – the West End version anyway, it, it, Brechtian is a good way to put it. It's got that sort of for the people 
kind of feel, um, which is what Brecht was trying to do, right? Bring it down from from the lofty society and bring it back to like, well, okay, but let, we're putting on a play. But let's also, just put, let's put on a play. Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. stop pretending. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. take the pretension out of it and let's just p- tell a story and talk to the audience as people. And you know, but the West End version, there is an intimacy to it because of that. I, and I don't think it's a matter of how many seats are there. I think mm-hmm. you're right. There's an intimacy in the way that they're bringing you in. And they're looking at at the audience and really speaking to them, and and even it's not even a breaking of the fourth wall necessarily, as much as just an inclusion. There's a lot of them sitting in like like lounging on the edge of the stage. Oh, There's a lot of them just like in chairs, like chilling while Lee Bowery's up doing something silly. And I felt so even watching it on YouTube, which by the way, it's very cinematically shot. The West End one, um, it's really beautiful, and Luke Evans who. Uh, I really only know from like, I don't know, uh, Fast and Furious, which I both ironically and unironically am obsessed with. Um, like, I don't know what what else is he in. Um, but he's uh, Isn't he's he, fantastic in it. Wasn't he in Nine Perfect Strangers that just came out? Oh, he is. I think he is. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, he's which I haven't seen it. yet. I got to watch that. Yeah, but uh, it's it's it, you feel the intimacy. You feel like they're right there. And, and you're with them and you're in the club, like experiencing all this. And that to me is kind of the perfect way to, to do the show. And you could do that in a, in a Broadway theater, theoretically, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, you know, she, so she puts $10 million into this thing of her of own, her money, own money. God bless which her. Which is hardcore. Yeah. That means she really believed in this yeah. thing. And she brings it, uh, to Broadway, obviously, but then she, Hires the director whose name I am forgetting. Christopher um, Renshaw. Renshaw. Everybody loved his revival of The King and I in the 90s with Donna Murphy. Right. Like he, like it was hands down, everybody thought he was, you know, best thing since sliced bread. Right. Then he comes back to Broadway and I believe does High Society, which is mm-hmm. a Cole Porter musical yes. adaptation of the film. He, I think, gets let go before it opens. He does. And it kind of ruins his reputation a little bit. And so Rosie is sort of taking a chance on hiring this guy because Mm -hmm. of the last thing that he's done. And and the the rumors go that he was not a very committed or uh, commanding in the room director. And it led to a lot of insecurity. It led to a lot of uh, Boy George not really getting to like not being directed a lot and then they start cutting things that George couldn't act well. I know Raul Esperanza stormed out of a rehearsal one time because he got a note from Rosie. Well, Raul, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other, he, I, he's great. He's known to be a diva. He's yeah. great in this show because he's, he's at his best in the show, in my opinion, which is yeah. like, Figuring out his how this sounds terrible, how his unlikability can be likable. Sure, he must have been phenomenal because he gets the drama desk. No, he is. He is he phenomenal. Gets a he is nomination for the Tony. He's undeniable. Hugh. Yeah. Now I want to put a pin right here and okay. talk a little bit about theater gossip. Okay. Uh, because this show had more than its fair share, thanks to the New York Post, right. and. Everything I went back and like looked through old articles, and it's so annoying 
Bailey. Like, I got to be honest. Everything is yeah. written so carefully. And it's like sources say an unnamed uh, person within the show has told the New York Post that it da, 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 and it feels icky. It just feels mm. gross to me. Yeah. Not to mention in terms of timing. This is when Rosie, I believe, was going through like a lot of I mean, she was tabloid fodder because she had her show had come to an end. There was this whole lawsuit about her magazine. Um, Some people some people had said that she was difficult to work with. She got like a super lesbian haircut. People were still not over the whole Ellen DeGeneres thing. So I'm not entirely sure that everybody loved lesbians yet. You know, like there were so many things that I feel like fueled this gossip yeah. in in a way that it kind of poisoned how the show could have been received. Absolutely. And, and I, I mentioned earlier, but we just covered Titanic. Mm-hmm. And it also had a lot of rumors and a lot of gossip uh, among New York journalists. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Titanic was that it was good. Everybody agreed that it was good. So you look at all of those reviews and inevitably they say, well, despite all the gossip, I guess they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. And what really sucks is that when Taboo got its bad reviews, all they could say was, well, I guess the gossip was right. Right. Which isn't necessarily true. And if there's already some bigotry there about Rosie or about the content, then they're gonna add, that's going to add on to all of it as well. And in white Broadway of the early 2000s, sure, you know, sure, yeah, white, white straight, white straight male, hetero, male, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I also want to give a shout out to Rosie because I think one of her great strengths is recognizing when a show, when a musical has an emotionally evocative score. Mm-hmm. She really pushed Titanic on the audience, on yeah. her audience, and it paid off. Right. Uh, she loved Susical, Right. To the point of actually going into the she show and, and doing Cat in the Hat. That's and right. look, I, I love the Susical score. I think I have yeah. more fun listening to the the soundtrack or the cast album than even mm-hmm. seeing the show in, in the theater. Sure. And when she sees Taboo in London... Once again, her her flags go off and and recognize this score for what it is, which is yeah. pretty freaking fantastic. Phenomenal. And not just in like, ooh, I really want to sing this song. Look at the nuts and bolts and skeleton of this. It has good bones. Oh, yeah. The poetry of his lyrics is yes. incredible. It is. I, I, I kind of want him to write more musicals. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think his his musical theater brain really works in terms of, you know, and I, I read some things where people, a lot of people were commenting like, oh, there's just so many ballads. And then there's songs where I just don't know why they're singing it. And I'm like, no, it's, it's like the same as hair. It's like, it's tone, it's energy, it's essence. You know, it's not always to tell you a story or give you anything. But then there's the song, uh, Ich bin Kunst. Kunst. That I have listened to probably five, I just got chills, 500 times since we decided to do this episode. And it's the moment after Lee finds out he has AIDS. Mm -hmm. And I love this score even more than I did when I was 14 and was just listening to it. Like, yeah, musical theater, whatever Rosie says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love this thing. Ich bin Kunst, meaning I am art. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. I love that. Once again, Lady Gaga uh, in her applause song, right? Suddenly oh. the kunst is me. 
right? Same, wow. She's referencing the same stuff. Yes. I didn't even think of that. Uh, I also like some of the weirder songs. Love is a question mark, which is really weird. It's I so love it. weird, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And even the opening, the freaks, the ode to attention seekers is yes. what it's called. It just it's speaking right to me as a performer, as a theater artist, like right away. It's like it's it's kind of the Velkoman. No, it's 100 percent Velkoman. 100 percent. But I also I, I'm there for it. Like I get mm-hmm. it, he, he's speaking di- there, speaking directly to our kind of people. And it's not necessarily speaking to the critics of 2003 New York theater. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. So in London, the whole framework behind telling the story revolves around this character named Billy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, he, I think is supposed to be, this fish out of water lens for the audience to yes. uh, connect with, right? Mm-hmm. He is he is us going into this new romantic scene and being like, "Whoa, all of these right. weirdos!" But I'm also being accepted and love them. Yeah, he's the Brad and Janet sort of. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Mm-hmm. And really quickly, just because I'm not entirely sure, does he get seduced or does he fall in love? Like, what 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 exactly happens in the London version? In the London version, it's more about like. <sighs> seduced is not the right word okay but i don't know that he like falls in love it's it it is sort of this like the feeling of acceptance is a good way to put it because it's sort of the first time that he's being allowed to really uh explore Explore. himself and his his sexuality and and um just who he is identity it becomes very much about identity and who he is and then him getting ingrained into the culture because it starts out and he's in like you know a jean jacket and and jeans or you know whatever yeah sure sure. and and then by the end of act one he's in like silver paint and really just gender fluid and all these things and luke evans carries it like a motherfucker by the way uh how does that happen through broad in the Broadway one? What is the Billy? Is there a Billy arc? What See, is it? Now, this is what I actually really think is the most brave thing that they did about Broadway is they got mm-hmm. rid of Billy altogether. Oh, taboo on Broadway doesn't have a quote unquote normal character that becomes a new romantic. Oh. Everybody is already a freak. Okay. And okay. I love that. I, I kind of do too. Okay. Because you don't need to add on any of those layers of judgment of someone deteriorating or someone changing sure. who they are. All of these people already are who they are. Right. And we're just going to see them interact with each other for like the next two hours. Right. Rather than having the Sandy becoming the pink lady. Exactly. It's it's just like, well, which, what if it's the which, pink ladies and the greasers in the show about that? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is really smart for an audience that may be triggered by that sort of arc. Agreed. I like that. I'm yeah. excited to watch the Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> so the show in New York starts with Raul Esparza and Liz McCartney, who are both fantastic performers in this. Mm-hmm. Raul is playing Philip Salon, who was a club promoter. Like mm-hmm. he he was the guy who was like, hey, come to this new club. Come and wear your crazy costume. It's going to be fantastic. Okay. He uh, is a real he was a real person. But once again, in this self-aware way, Philip Salon is also being the MC from Cabaret. He is our tour guide through this. Gotcha. This essentially memory piece because he and his friend Big Sue. Mm-hmm. are two former members of the club scene 
And when we meet them, they are coming back to what used to be taboo. The club is all run down. It isn't what it was, but they have been asked by a reporter to come here and give an interview about the good old days. Okay. So they begin to reminisce about what it was like, and then that is what gives birth to the big opening number, the Ode to Attention Seekers, you know, this whole Vilcoman number that you mentioned earlier. Gotcha. Yeah, Philip is a character in the West End one and exists, but doesn't really fulfill that role. Gotcha. So that, I mean, he sings the opening, but everyone kind of does. It kind of switches around. And he's got like a ringleader outfit he wears like at one point. But besides that, it's not really, I wouldn't call him a narrator. He's not really there with us the whole time. Uh, and I probably shouldn't say narrator either because it's never that clearly defined. But MC. Yeah, but you just get the feeling that at any point he could look at the audience and be like, what a load of crap this is, right? You know right. what? I, he's going to be able to comment on anything that happens Got it. Uh, throughout the show. Well, that's very Brechtian. Absolutely. Once yeah, again. Yeah, I feel like that's staying true to the original beauty of the show. That's awesome. After the opener, we meet Boy George. Now, in one of the more brilliant pieces of casting in, I think, <laughs> musical theater history, yeah, Boy George wrote Taboo, which includes a character named Boy George, modeled after him. Boy George was in the show, but he did not play Boy George. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody with me? Yeah. Boy George was played by Ewan Morton. Mm-hmm. And this performance, you guys, is... Absolutely sensational. It's pretty phenomenal. And uh, there's a quote where Boy George said, Ewan played Boy George better than I played Boy George. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I believe it. I believe yeah. it. He is so charismatic and mm-hmm. you want, like, I don't care who you are and or who you're prone to fall in love with. Everybody wants to take care of this this kid, you know? Absolutely. And when we meet him, he is like in a phone booth calling his uh, mom for some financial help because mm-hmm. uh, he's like in the city and doesn't have any money because he's, you know, going to clubs and stuff. Right. It isn't a positive conversation, but it leads to him singing this song called Stranger in This World. Yeah. One of the most beautiful songs I've ever I heard in it. my life. Absolutely. 100%. I want to sing it. These lyrics are just absolutely gorgeous. I'm turning my back on this life for as long as I can. Someone to make me a star because I sure as hell can't be a man. Ah! Mm. That makes me want to cry. I know. This song is about a boy who just doesn't feel like he fits into the world, right? Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. example that he has of a man doesn't really fall in line with who he is. So I guess I'm going to become a star? Yeah. It's so honest and so vulnerable and really, to me, spotlights what Boy George does so well with this score, which yeah. is find points of view that are more theatrical than you think he's going to find. Mm-hmm. This could very well have been a song about a boy being gay. Right. But it's much more than that. It's about a boy looking for a home. It, it surpasses your expectations. 100%. And it spoke to me on a personal level, just as, you know, coming from Kansas, small town Kansas, you know, like you, you do like when you grow up around a lot of men who are in the toxic masculinity, 
and things like that. You, and you don't have someone to look up to who is comfortable in this, their sexuality, comfortable in uh, taboo subjects and things like that. And I, I don't know what boy George's pronouns are or anything like that, but most likely and we weren't talking about it then, but most likely a non-binary situation or even maybe trans or gender fluidity or something like that, that, you know, we didn't even know how to talk about how to talk about. So of course, when you, when you're growing up in a world like that, you can't even, you don't even know how to talk about it. How, how else to, to let it out. But like you said, like become your own star, like Mm -hmm. your own bright shining force, irreplaceable creative force in the world. And boy, George is definitely that Lee Bowery was definitely that. Yeah. All of these characters are that. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they all have moments to, to share that in the show. Thanks to, thanks to the music. Agreed. I keep getting chills. We keep talking about this show and it's something that I didn't (laughs) like, I didn't think I, I was just like, oh, yeah, that show that I kind of know about it. This will be fun to talk about. But more than anything, to me, this is the epitome of where Broadway is kind of headed anyway, or should be headed Yeah, in a lot of ways. Why wouldn't we read something like this? Absolutely. Completely agree. As an interesting counterpoint for where we meet Boy George, we -hmm. then go, I guess, to the other side of town in London and meet this girl named Nicola. Right. She's a huge fan of Lee Bowery. She dreams of meeting him one night. Her mom doesn't understand that at all. And she sings this kick-ass song called Safe in the City about how the only place she belongs is in the city. Once again, when you're a little different, you you need somewhere where you feel at home. And for some reason, it's always the city. I, I look right. forward to the time when it's not that, when yeah. where we can stay in our small towns and feel that connection and feel that acceptance. And I think we are maybe getting closer than ever. Yes. But specifically at this time, a true representation of that kind of angst and and desire for belonging. Now, it's always a treat to have guests on the show that have a lot of experience in the musical theater art form, but it's an even bigger treat to have someone like that who was also part of the creation of the show we're actually talking about. And that's what's happening right now. Everyone, please welcome to the podcast, Sarah Uriarty Berry. Please tell me I said your name right. You did. Well, you did. You did the anglicized version. It's actually Sarah Uriarty Berry, but I'm not going to hold that against you. Look, (laughs) as about as Anglo as you get over here. So thank you for that. Sure. Now, uh, Miss Sarah, I have had a big old talent crush on you since Flight in the Piazza. Aw. You played the fiery sister-in-law, Franca. And I remember you walked out and I was like, who is that? I want to know her story. What's going on? Uh, you were just absolutely fantastic in that show. Oh, thank you. I loved that show. Um, how high was that note that you sang in Ayutumi? Yes, that would be an F. An F above high C. Ridiculous. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what's crazy is that if that wasn't rangy enough for like one career... You've also played a Disney princess. You were Belle. And then you also played the character Nicola in Taboo, uh, which happens to be this like badass performance artist woman belting incredibly high. Yes. Belting as high as she can. (laughs) That was a G. Actually, they made me belt a G. Oh, my gosh, girl. (laughs) Good for you. 
You never um, know what you can do until you try. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't even show me the keyboard. I'll just keep singing. Yes. And then you tell me later <laughs> what I did. Exactly. At what point in your career did Taboo come around? Can you take me back then? What was happening? Interesting. The first audition I had for the show, um, it must have been sometime in 2002. I, I, I don't remember exactly when, but I, they said, oh, there's, a, there's this show. Boy George wrote the music. It's, it's very grungy, very cool. And, and I, I didn't know anything about it. I learned the song Elador. I auditioned. I, had, I think I had one little scene. And then I never really heard anything. I think maybe oh, it was the show was put on hold. I, I don't know what happened, but a lot of time went by. And I didn't have a big Broadway show coming down the pike. I, I was just cast in the Sondheim celebration at the Kennedy Center. And which Not was bad. very, very exciting. I got to work with Steven Sondheim and all these brilliant people. Good old Steve. Good old Steve. He's my friend. No, but it, that was, it was great, but I didn't really have a big project. So I was married and I said to my husband, may as well try to get pregnant because I don't have anything lined up. And I know I want to start a family, so let's, yeah. let's just do this. Let's so, get it on. So during the Sondheim celebration, I became pregnant. I didn't know, I didn't really know at the time, but, but that's, that's when it happened. And awesome. so then nine months later, I got a callback for Taboo all of a sudden. I thought, oh, wait, wait, what show was that? Oh, my right, God. Right, exactly. And they another said... Another lifetime. Yeah, another lifetime go. And they said, now, you'll remember, this is for the role of Nicola, and she's a club waif. So she's very, very skinny, and she she does the club scene. <laughs> Heroin chic. Heroin chic, and she's really cool. And I'm like, oh, my God. So they said, your callback is on... <laughs> May 15th. <laughs> and my baby was due May 17th. Get out of here. Stop it. No, I'm not joking. So I was rather large. And <sighs> and for this club wave, I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> and it was for the director and, um, and Rosie O'Donnell. Um, and John McDaniel was the music director. George was not there. So... I said to my husband, what am I, oh, do I just not go? He said, no, 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 You're going to be the pregnant club waif. You're going to be the girl who got knocked up at the club. So I That's wore amazing. this tiny, tiny top that, it was like a crop top. So I had, and I pulled my, I had these drawstring pants and I, I was barefoot because my feet were huge. I couldn't wear shoes. So I was barefoot and I had my, this massive, massive belly and then I wore really thick, garish, crazy makeup, and I wore ponytails <laughs> coming out of my head, and and it worked. And they said, "This is fantastic." I'm obsessed. Yeah, they're like, "You have to have one more callback though, because George has final approval, and he's flying in from London." I said, "Well, okay, I'm due in two days. We'll just see what happens." So of course, then I went into labor, and I had my baby at home. <laughs> I had my baby at home because I'm I'm crazy that way. So anyway, they said your callback is on May, let me see, 7, 8, 9, on May 21st, which was four days after giving birth. So I, I went. I don't know how I went. And they, George was there. He kept saying, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. And I, he said, please don't sing. Just do the scene, but don't sing. I don't want your uterus to fall out. I was like, okay. <laughs> so... I did not sing. I just did the scene work. He, I think he just wanted to see who I was. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I also brought a 
picture of myself in a bikini from days You're of like, yore. This is the bod. I'm like, this is what it could look like <laughs> with diet and exercise. <laughs> and and then they they cast me. So there you go. Oh, that is the best audition story I've ever heard. <laughs> My gosh, talk about butterflies. Yeah. So then, do you want me to? Should I keep going? Yes, please, okay. <laughs> please. I'm I'm in. Okay. So now, so now we have this baby, and they said, "All right." And I I was told initially. So I had her in May, and they said, "Oh, we're going to start probably start rehearsals sometime in September." But then, right after I had her, I was told we have to do a six week workshop for the designers, which I, I hadn't known. So when she was about six weeks old, we all went to New York city to the 42nd street studios. And I mean, she was six weeks old. It's my first baby. And they said, we're doing this designer workshop. You have to be there. And I, I panicked and Rosie was amazing. She said, do not panic. We are not surprised that there is a baby. We all knew you were having the baby. It's not, this isn't shocking. What do you, what do you need? And I said, well, I, I have to nurse. I have to nurse my baby. What am I going to do? She said, you will have a room that we will rent for you. And you can have a nanny and you can have the nanny there 24 hours a day. And anytime she's like, I don't care what scene you're doing. If you're in the middle of your song, you can quit and say, I'm leaving. I'm going to go nurse. And I don't care. And you nurse for 45 minutes, you can nurse for an hour. It doesn't matter. Because oh, we all, she's like, gosh. nobody nobody is shocked. This, we love you, we support you, we want you in the role. So it was amazing. Holy cow. Yep. So I had a little nursery room. I had a nanny. My husband and the nanny took turns. I brought the baby. She was our little mascot. Um, <laughs> she was there, like, all the time. I would wear her on my chest sometimes while we were rehearsing scenes. And it was the most supportive environment. I couldn't believe it. But the, the scary thing that happened during that time is they informed me two things that I didn't know. One, that there was a scene where I would be wearing a nude body stocking and I would be birthed out of George's butt. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I just, I just had a baby. This is not okay. And they're like, well, you're going to be wearing a nude body stocking with crystals covering the private areas. <laughs> I started crying. I'm like, what am I going to do? I weigh so much. I'm not, I'm not in shape. They're like, it's going to be fine. And so that was terrifying. And then the other thing that, that terrified me was when I had auditioned, they'd given me the song Elador, which is just like on my own, a little more sad. <laughs> but it's a little very more sad s- than on Yeah. But similar, like a similar vibe, um, very similar uh, vocal range. At the workshop, they said, oh, there's another song. I'm like, oh, how exciting. I get two songs. They said, yes, this is a funk, like a funk pop song with lots of riffing. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And they played the song Safe in the City, and I went into a panic. And this, this is sort not of what goes, I do. This, this is not what I do. Yeah, I'm like, la, 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 what am I going to do? And this is sort of one of your other questions about, like, working with George, um, but he, I will, I'll just go into this now. He, he was so sweet. He took me in the hallway. I was sitting, I was actually in the hallway crying softly by myself when I found out I had to do this song because I thought they're going to fire me because I don't, I don't do this. And he sat down and he's like, it's going to be fine. You just fall off of all the notes. I'm like, what? He said, any, any phrase you sing, just go, huh, and just fall off the note at the end. That's all it is. That's the difference between pop singing and musical theater singing. With musical theater, you finish the note. With pop, you fall off the note. You're going to be fine. 
And I was like, oh, oh, wow. oh okay. And he, he's like, yep, yeah, we love you. Bye. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was really cool. Okay. So you're in the show. How much did you know about Lee Bowery, Nicola, his wife, kind of this whole scene? Yeah. Um, so I knew nothing of Lee Bowery. I knew so much of Boy George and other parts sure. of that music because, I mean, I'll age myself. It's just fine. I, I was in high school in the 80s when Boy George and Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and, you yes. know, Duran Duran and all these fabulous groups were huge. That's exactly when I was watching MTV and listening to music and trying to look like them and dress like them. And it was very interesting. You know, the boys in my high school had the Duran Duran hair and there were boys Cute. who dressed exactly like Boy George and there were girls who dressed like Boy George. And oh, that's so, so cool. Oh, yeah. So when I... When I went in, I was really, really excited that I got to work with this with this man. Um, sure. And Nicola, I, I met the real Nicola. You did um, not, really? Well, <sighs> so the real Nicola's sister, Christine, was our hair and makeup designer. And what? she really? was, yes, and she was in the theater with us every single day because she did George's makeup for the show every single day. Um, so we oh saw, I was with Christine all the time and she's sweet and lovely. Um, I really, really liked her. Nicola came for the opening and she is just fascinating and she was dressed, you know, just as fabulously as you would expect, but she's rather shy and rather reserved. Not, I mean, I'm, I suppose she was a wild, crazy cat back in the day, but, um, really interesting. Well, one of the things I walk away from with this show is that so many of these crazy avant-garde taboo people, if you will, mm-hmm. are actually quite sensitive humans. The The waters run deep, right? And Boy yeah. George, I feel like, really created a score in which each character gets an opportunity to reveal that to the audience. Isn't that sort of the way, like, the really, really funny, funny, funny comedians in real life come off dark. as rather dark and serious? Yeah. <laughs> and Yes, and these you know, flamboyant, colorful, wild artists in real life, you you do get to know their sensitive, deep side. One of the challenges with working with George was that with a lot of our scene work, he had he'd never acted before. He was only a only. He was only a singer. <laughs> he's only but a superstar. He's only a superstar. <laughs> but he had not done scenes. So for some of the scenes, he would address the audience. <laughs> and he, he, would, he would talk to people. And I, <laughs> as Nicola, had no choice but to try to convince Lee to step back into the scene. Like, come back, and, Lee. Yes, oh, come Lee. Come back into the show. Lee, as I was saying, um, <laughs> it, was, it was rather hilarious. Oh, and my gosh. yes. And Charles Bush, who helped with the book, he was like, oh, my darling, after this experience, you could just act your way out of a trunk, couldn't you? Because I was, <laughs> it's just like this constant improvisation. But it's interesting. So much of who George was, he really was able to connect and pour it into this Lee Bowery character. So at that moment in the hospital scene, when he passes like I really I could just look right at him and really imagine 
the devastation of losing this beautiful, beautiful artist, whether it's Mm. Lee or George, like it, I could just look at this guy and think, oh my God, I mean, just completely in there. And the thought of him being gone, he he was really good at playing dead. (laughs) But um, not a boy, no, but it it really, it just, it sent me right into that moment and uh, the devastation. I just, it's so funny. We were, we were traveling yesterday, my family and I, um, we went to see my husband's family and we were in a bookstore and I picked up this book. I think it said it was Queer Folk and Their Cats. <laughs> I just oh my thought, gosh. what a funny title. I mean, come on. Queer Folk and Their Cats. I'm like, I got, who, who can't look at this? Right. So I, I'm looking through it and Lee Bowery was in there. Oh my gosh. Yes. It was really cool. So. If anybody's really fantastic. interested in queer people and their cats, you can read about Lee Bowery. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in there. They're all in there. <laughs> now, if you, like looking back on it, because you've had some time since this all went down, is there one overriding feeling that you have when thinking about Taboo? Because I know it's complex. It's complicated and complex. Um I think Taboo did a really great job capturing the feeling of that crazy, indulgent, wild time and that wild scene. And that is how it felt to be in the show. Like the story that was being told from Days of Yore really was alive and thriving on the stage as it was being told. Um, Mm. That whole experience was packed with so many different types of people from different walks of life and different parts of the artistic community. Mm. Mm. And I really do feel like I was sort of a visitor. <laughs> I, I was a visitor to this world and it was an education for me. Um, mm. I was brought up very, actually I was not brought up in a normal fashion at all, but I was brought up um, in a world where you know, girls were girls and boys were boys. And I feel like this show sort of challenged the audience in a way and challenged us as performers and especially me to sort of think beyond quote unquote normal. So I really do think of it as this beautiful, educational, joyous ride. And and there was something that you'd said um, when you wrote to me about some of the negative press. And I will say yeah, I was... There was some gossip. Yeah, and, blah, and, blah, blah. and I, it made me so sad, especially being in it, because the things that were reported in, I think it was the Post. Yeah, they some, were... Some man, They loved you guys, Oh, man. yes. Ugh. And it made me so sad, because we, we loved it. I don't know. It was... That's it, cool. and Yeah, the music was awesome, and it felt like a party. And we had... The, the people who would come, our audience members, we had these regulars. And there was one person who dressed as a clown and held a little tiny, tiny umbrella. And they would always buy this one seat about six rows back. And we're like, oh, there's a little clown umbrella, man. And I mean, there were people that would so cool. dress in drag. I mean, it was, it was so fun. It was really, it was amazing. Well, that's, that's incredible. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. This has been more than I ever dreamed. The, the, the perspective <laughs> that you have brought to this is so cool. Yeah. Uh, and how how old is your baby now that you had during Taboo? Oh my gosh, she just turned 18. Well, not oh. just, she turned 18 in May. 
Yay. And uh, my husband and I, we have two other little, we have twin boys who are 11, oh. so we're not empty nesters yet, but uh, my husband and I just flew her out to NYU. She started this fall at Tisch. <laughs> She's not going to be in musical theater. We've, Thank we've, we've trained her well. We're like, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. Um, so she was... <laughs> She says she wants to be a film director, which is, you know, oh, good for her. really great job security, but, um, <laughs> I mean, trade one for the other, I yes, suppose. But at least she'll be in charge. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's so great. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that and congratulations to her. And thank you again for doing this. You're and thank you for being welcome. part of, uh, the history of, of musical theater with oh. this pioneering show. My pleasure. Okay, so Nicola shows up to the nightclub hoping to meet Lee Bowery. She runs into Big Sue, who we met at the top of the show, who mm-hmm. decides that she's going to introduce her. She's elated. That kind of pushes Big Sue out of the picture, which becomes mm. a, a point of contention for the friends. Right. Also at this club is Boy George, who works there now. I think he's like a host or works the coat check or, you know, something like right, that. Right, right, right. He has a friend, Marilyn, who um, is like just this total punk kid. He likes to dress like Marilyn Monroe, but right. but face like a brick, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> right. And apparently based on a true person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay, okay. I didn't know about Marilyn, but Yeah. I was reading about them, and I was like, that was interesting. And then we go to the bathroom at the club, and we meet this strange creature named <laughs> Lee Bowery. Yes. Um, he sings this song called I'll Have You All, at the urinal and so i i'll pay you 10 bucks if you can tell me what he's singing about <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's it's him and all and like the men's chorus exactly right? yeah exactly <laughs> who are all lined up at the urinal now I, I am excited to watch the the broadway one now uh to really see that because also the it, the book gets rewritten by a, a playwright that i'm kind of familiar with charles bush yep who is also a drag performer. Yeah. Uh, but Charles Bush did, is it vampire he lesbians? Did like die, mommy, die, I think. Die, mommy, die. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. And then there's one, it's like vampire lesbians of Sodom or something. Oh, like wow. That. Yeah, I think is the name the, of it. That's just all the words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of like student produced posters for that right like people are like oh i'm gonna do this one because of the name and uh, apparently people like it it's very uh crude and camp it's so campy and really that's what he brings to the show is there are these personalities who Mm -hmm. sit next to each other on stage and like hurl insults back and forth at each other and everybody laughs and that's kind of all it has to be could they have gone more traditional with it yes but like who wants to see a show about non-traditional people told traditionally and I don't know. Right. I'm not so sure it's worth it. After the club one night, George, uh, a.k.a. Boy George, meets this guy named Marcus who believes he himself to be straight. And uh, Philip and Sue, <laughs> not Philip and Sue, <laughs> Philip but, but Philip and Sue are kind of above on this catwalk watching this go down. And they're like, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? And they sing this song called Sexual Confusion. But it's funny and not not too serious. It's right. just they're kind of just saying, eh, it's just sex, essentially. Right. 
And there's no Marcus in the West End either. Mm. All of these like sort of tertiary characters, Nicola, Marcus, these are new things that I think were just like ensemble parts mm. maybe on the mm-hmm. West End that they were like, well, what if we made this character a little more of something? And It ends up turning into this interesting mirroring where Marcus and George fall in love and then Nicola and Lee fall in love. Wow. Both of which are these really non-traditional couples. Right with sexualities that don't necessarily match the relationship that they're in, but they're like, love's a question mark, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already that- said this, but I'm I'm weirdly obsessed with that song. <laughs> I know it's a really weird song. I think everyone should go listen to it. It's, yeah, it's interesting. 100%. Now we kind of get into a little bit more of a biographical look at Boy George's career. He gets a, a recording contract. He records Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Mm. and starts becoming really famous. Lee doesn't love that because it seems like he's, you know, selling out. Right. Kind of anti-mainstream. Sure. Right. And so Act 1 ends with Karma Chameleon on one end mm. and Lee announcing that he's opening a new nightclub called Taboo on the other end. Kind of these Mm -hmm. two different results of the Romantic era. Right. The new Romantics. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I missing any songs that you want to highlight in in Uh, Act 1? Genocide uh, uh, Peroxide is fun. From Marilyn. That's Marilyn. Absolutely. Um, Really hard rock, too. Like, these are not songs masquerading as rock songs, but they're actually just musical theater. They're legit. No, this is a song that if it was played at a live venue, I would be banging my head yeah. and wouldn't think twice about it. Um, Genocide Peroxide's great. I've listened to that a bunch. Uh, Love is a question mark we already talked about. Uh, in the first act, those are sort of the ones that really stand out to me. There's a few others that I really love lyrically, mm-hmm. oh, but that I don't go back to. There's that beautiful song that George sings about wearing too much makeup. Pretty Lies. Pretty Lies. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Which is another really vulnerable moment about this, you know, because we all know that they're dressing up. There's nothing right. natural about their look, right? right. He knows it. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of looking in the mirror, trying to take off the makeup and complaining that he can never actually take it all off, which right. is both true from like a metaphoric standpoint and also from just literally, I can't scrub all of this eyeliner off my face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And there's also an interesting side to like, you know, my identity is ingrained in this and who I, how I have to present myself to feel comfortable in my own skin. It's not about the fantasy of right. it. It's about the, the inner world. This is who I am, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. Act two opens with Everything Taboo, which is a great, great I mean, that's opening. a great act two opener. Yeah, really it is fun. Introducing us to this huge club that now uh, is a big hit because of Lee Bowery. All of the regulars are there. Marcus and George uh, have broke up because... George has kind of gone further and further into this drug culture, which always comes along with fame, especially during this time period. And let's be honest, boy, George really has struggled most of his career with staying out of the limelight in terms of being arrested, um, Mm -hmm. having drug problems. And I think that they're touching on that here. Um, I don't even know if Marcus and George were really together in, in real life or if this is just kind of an opportunity to tell a story like the one he had Mm. there there is so much of the show 
because of the self-awareness that I'm not really sure we're supposed to take literally, but there you have it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're confused, like, I guess nobody cares. Right. So Marcus does try to get George to get some help. He refuses. And so Marcus goes and tells the police on him or actually, no, he tells the the paparazzi on him and says that he's like a a junkie. And then that leads to his arrest and then ultimately to him getting clean. Right. So Marcus is like looking at that as a as a last resort. He was played by this guy who sounds almost identically to Adam Pascal. Oh, cool. And he has this really great song in the second act. I can't remember what it's called. Um I see through you. Oh, okay. That's who sings that in the Oh, Billy. It's that's a Billy that's song. A, yeah. Billy got yeah. everything in Billy's London. got a lot of yeah. I mean, he he kind of is the focal point, especially of the first act, not so much in the second act though. Gotcha. Yeah. Sue has become a little estranged from Lee because of his relationship with Nicola, but she shows up to the hospital because he has tested positive for HIV mm-hmm. and is there receiving treatments. Sue tries to talk to him about it, but he refuses to, uh, which I really love because yeah. even for Lee Bowery, there are things that are taboo, mm-hmm. you know? Ooh. I didn't even think of it like that. That's great. <laughs> That's good take. <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so Lee gets angry and basically ends his friendship with her. Hmm. She sings this amazing song called Talk Amongst Yourselves about how her life is empty without these friendships. I, hmm. I think especially knowing that not only is this friendship going to end, but his life is going to end as well. Right. Marilyn is completely jealous that George is having so much fame, so their relationship is fractured. Mm-hmm. Everything's falling apart. And I think now this leads us to Ich bin Kunst. <laughs> yeah, I, that might be my favorite song in the show. And, and why do you like it so much? Because as a kid, it was just a song, you know, and it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, and then that song, maybe I skipped it or whatever uh, when I would listen to the soundtrack. But now, knowing what I know, that about Lee and about that the time. he's dying from AIDS and he's dying from AIDS and it's and it's like you're saying it's an inner monologue it's an inner working out of those feelings and I now have a totally different love for it and like you said is it I am art yeah ich bin that's what it is. Is I or I guess ich I depending on where you're from ich in Germany sure. But uh, he's essentially saying, I am a living work of art. Mm. And when you look at what Lee Bowery did, one of his most famous looks, and I say that L-E-W-K-S, looks, (laughs) was he was completely painted and then he had polka dots, right, everywhere. Mm. And that was actually a commentary on the lesions that you would get as someone with AIDS. Right. So he is wholeheartedly saying... I am going through this and I am turning it into art. Right. And because it's Boy George and he has this way of performing the show like he doesn't really care that much, <laughs> okay. it somehow yeah. makes it even more like beautiful to me. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sure a different actor would have a completely different take and it would be equally impressive. Yeah. But uh, I love the kind of fleeting nature that he looks at his life with. It's mm. it's it's interesting and effective. I love that. Philip, aka Raul, 
runs into Marcus, straight boy Marcus on the street, and tells and you know basically tells him how disgusted he is that he told on George. And Marcus tries to ex- to explain his point of view about trying to get him help, but before he can, Marcus's straight friends jump in and like full on gay bash Philip. Mm. And so Philip is left there alone and bruised and bloodied, and he sings this song called Petrified. Petrified. Which is another song that I feel like really surprises me with the amount of poetry. Yes. A lesser musical theater song would say, how dare you beat me up? Why can't love be love? Why can't you accept me? And instead, there's this sense of curiosity Mm. that... Philip sings about he says are you scared what's going on with you yeah and it's so much more empowering in a way that other shows bear comes to mind for example absolutely you know where which is equally empathic and you get all of the emotions from seeing that show but yeah yeah it's less victimized it's much more empowering I agree. And I think I'm falling more in love with that kind of musical theater Mm. and being more poetic, being more lyrical, being more theatrical in the way that you tell a story. Because we, things like taboo give us permission to do that. I now have permission to do anything I want uh, with storytelling. And, And like we said before, especially if your subject matter is not quote unquote normal, why would you tell a story quote unquote normally? Yes. You know, and Taboo just gives us the permission to go beyond the the basic proscenium staging of, of musicals that we're used to. And is it messy? Yeah. Yeah. But like the characters are messy. So right. all of the drama, the interpersonal drama makes that clear. Yeah. When Lee, when it comes time for Lee to finally die. Nicola brings Sue to his bedside and they uh, they bury the hatchet. Yeah. After she's gone, Nicola sings Il Adore, which you can't listen to that song and not get the chills. Absolutely. My gosh. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's... um. Mm. <laughs> I'm so excited about this Broadway version. I might watch it right after this. <laughs> I hope I'm you not got me build- really pumped about. I it. hope I'm not building it up too much because I, it it it's a total circus. But right, and it's also 2002. So like, I would say yeah. the art form has come even further in terms of our storytelling and what we would do now is probably different from then. But still, um, right. right. And by the way, Ilador meaning he loves. Mm. You know, here's this woman who agreed to marry this gay man who knows that he like is dying because he has sex with other men. But like what's most important to her is that he loves people. Right. Ah, (laughs) it's so good. Why did this, why doesn't this have more of a cult following? Right. Why doesn't this, like that was the other thing is that I, as I looked it up and so it's not like there's a bunch of people trying to get this thing made it doesn't get produced at community theaters it doesn't no, get produced no, it's at no, colleges like, it's not even licensed like you can't no. even get it not to mention don't go to spotify to listen to this cast album everybody no it is a complete clusterfuck yes <laughs> it's a thank you for saying it so i didn't have so, to yeah all of like the the names are all wrong it's the london cast names all of the numbers are out of order Ode to the Freaks is 
both track one and track three, so Safe in the City isn't even in there, right. then everything else is like named incorrectly. At one mm-hmm. point, you play a song and it's the reprise of I Enjoy Being a Girl from the revival of Flower Drum Song. Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's going what? on with Spotify. I didn't know that. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, like, that alone tells me how many people are, you know, pounding on Taboo's door. Uh, Spotify can't even get the freaking track listing right. No, absolutely. And you just go to YouTube. Just go to YouTube and listen to it because there are a, there's a few different playlists yeah. that have. And they have okay. the West End. They have the 2012 London Revival. They have the Broadway. Anything you want to listen to, it's all there, which is how I listen to it because I was like, well. Gotcha. Yeah, the Spotify crap is uh, incorrect. It's incorrect. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so now we can just fast forward and we're back to modern day. Philip and Big Sue are back at the the club. You know, Lee Bowery died and so did Taboo. Um, So they're waiting for this interviewer to come. The interviewer comes. Turns out it's actually Marcus. Oh, straight boy Marcus. Okay. And then George comes and Nicola comes. And so it's like this mini reunion that he has orchestrated to finally have the opportunity to tell George why he told the press about his drug problem. Mm. Um, And everybody kind of has this cathartic moment to recognize what they had done together and reconnect. Then they sing this gospel-y song called Come On In From The Outside, which is really fun. And that's how it ends. And then they all like get into a group and it's like, no day but today. Yeah, and exactly. Then, and then the lights go down. In the Western version, they uh, sing the final song and then they all stand in front. No day but today moment. But they sing Karma Chameleon again. Oh, my gosh. And that's, when, you, and that's when you're sobbing. Yeah, I was just bawling. <laughs> I don't know what it was. And they're not even, you know, they're just kind of standing there and the whole audience is singing with them. And they're all sure. kind of just like back and forth. And I was just, I don't know what it was. Something came over me and I was just like, oh, yeah, theater. I mean, part of it might be just that I haven't. I mean, I've seen a couple shows masked um, recently, um, but like not like this. Mm-hmm. Not something that really took me back to the theater. You know, and I, I'm, I'm really ready for it. So I think part of it was that, but that's cool. Part of it is just what it is, and it really spoke to me on a lot of levels. I didn't think it would. Uh, it spoke to me as an artist, but also just like as a consumer. Like I don't, I didn't, I didn't know I needed this as much as I think I did. You know, put it on the billboard. <laughs> I didn't think I. Needed I didn't think I, I did. needed this, but I did. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's actually my favorite kind of theater. And I wonder if one of the reasons I like this so much is because I had zero expectations. Yeah. You know, boy, boy, oh boy, George, do <laughs> expectations <laughs> kill happiness. Agreed. The quote from the script that I did <laughs> here on the bootleg that I want to leave here, uh, because I think it's probably one of the most important things that they say, uh, it's from Philip, and he says, cultivate whatever it is that people condemn you for, because that's what's truly original. And if that's not the most Lee Bowery thing of it all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <sighs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you. This I was hope a we've blast. Ins- I-, I hope we've inspired some people, because 
I, I think it's a show worth revisiting, period. I think so, too. I want people to go watch it. I want people to go listen to it. I want people to understand sort of because the other thing is now we have more shows like this, not mm-hmm. not even thematically like kinky boots and stuff, but shows that are playing with form and and playing with how we watch theater, you know, and this yeah. is very that. And I it deserves its deserves its spotlight. Agreed. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a nice review because that always helps the show a lot. And if you want to help even more, subscribe to Patreon exclamation point, where for only one dollar a month, you guys, it's only one dollar a month, you gain access to bonus episodes. Like Act 3 with Sarah Uriarty Berry that comes out today with this episode. You'll hear a further conversation with that delightful individual. Um, Hey, Jay Bailey Bircham, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? You can follow me on Instagram at j.bailey.b. Bailey spelled like the Irish cream, B-A-I-L-E-Y. And I also have a podcast that is called Theater Theater Pod. The first theater is the R-E spelling. The second is E-R. Um, <laughs> I and love I've that. De- yeah, I've decided to, because I feel like there's a lot of debate on which one to use. And I know people in, in uh, England use R-E only. People in America, journalists have decided that it's E-R. I've decided have they really? They have. Oh, Everyone, I, feel, I don't feel represented at all. All critics use E-R because they don't want to look they don't all want to spell it differently. So they've all consensus. It's ER. I've decided RE is the art form. ER is the the place. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. Thank you. Okay. So I think we need to spread that. We need to disseminate that idea because (laughs) no RE is the art form. That's right. Don't shove your ER down my throat. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, the podcast Theater Theater, we we talk about playwrights. We do mini series on playwrights. We just finished our Ibsen. We're about to do David Henry Huang, who did like M. Butterfly and Speaking things like that. Speaking of Flower Drum Song. Uh, we've done Sarah Kane, Carol Churchill, Susan Laurie Parks. My gosh. Tennessee Williams. How exciting. We, yeah, I think we, we're, uh, we're on like episode 73 or something like that. Um, but we also do bonus episodes on movie musicals and we just nerd out and have a lot of fun. Uh, we got to have you on, Jeff. I would love to, please. We got to have you on. Uh, we'll make that happen in season three, but follow it. We'd appreciate uh, all the love. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again. What Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, keep it taboo. Keep it taboo. Done. Perfect sentiment. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.